0: It's always good when we come to visit Catch the Fire. We have many friends here, some very long term friends, and some new friends that I haven't even met yet. (laughs) I do have a word this morning that I think the Lord Himself has actually given that to me for you today and my anointing oil lid fell off so i probably have i am anointed today you can't win our mall <laughs> that's what they say okay We'll just move on. Okay. I want to start by reading a scripture most of us are probably familiar with. And then I'm going to use that as a springboard to dive into what I think the Lord wants to say to us today. If you'll turn with me to Romans chapter 6. I'm going to begin with verse 12 and skip a few verses and go on, but uh, you can follow me. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Now, that's a powerful verse because it tells us that there is a possibility that we are enslaved to something we don't like. Does that make sense? And so we're going to focus on that. Actually, the word I'm going to be using is captive or captivated. And I'll uh, introduce that whole thing later. But uh, it goes on to say, uh, and I'm now going to verse 16, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, and there's that word slave again, connected to obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. Now, you may think you are a servant of God, but if you are obeying the flesh, or the devil. Is this making some sense? You are a slave to the one you obey. Now, this sounds like we've got some condemnation coming our way, doesn't it? That's not where I'm going with it, but it's uh, what a lot of people do with it. What we're looking for is uh, either of sin, uh, obey either sin or which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now, as I look at that, I want us to uh, move. okay, We'll do that later. the The message today I'm going to call captivated by word, captivated by word, and uh, as I was really seeking the Lord about what to share this morning with you guys, uh, and I saw that what he wanted me to do with the connection of words to the way we present ourselves in life, uh, I remembered a story It was told by a man who was at that time the president of a Bible college that is no longer functioning, but uh, he told a story of someone who, a man, a very tormented man who came into his office for counsel, and the man's head was leaning over like this. As he was trying to talk, he couldn't straighten his head up. And so, uh, you know, what's up? What are you struggling with? And he said, uh, I got a word stuck in my ear, and it's heavy. (laughs) It pulls my head over, and I can't get it straight. And so this pastor, uh, Bible college uh, guy, said, well, what is the word? He said, I don't know, but it's heavy. Now, I love humor. Those of you who have heard me before, you know I love humor. Sometimes it gets in the way. But the word that he had received, even though he didn't remember what the word was, was determining his position, his stature, his standing. It was, it was, holding his head in slavery could i say it that way okay so that is the mental picture that i want us to have captivated by word now i want to talk about two different categories of words one is the word from below and the other is the word from above uh Most of us have either known someone who have personally experienced someone says a word to you and it brings you down. It gets in your system and just pulls you down, down, down. If it pulls you down, it's a word from below and it's trying to draw you into its sphere. The below fear Sphere. Okay, and then there is the word from above, that when someone says that to you, it just lifts you up and pulls you into that arena. All right, now, dad said, you're no good, you'll never amount to anything, I'm ashamed of you. And you spend most of your early adult life trying to overcome that, but it is pulling you down in everything you try to do. Now, I know this doesn't apply to any of you, but you probably know someone who has been affected by negative words in their childhood. And uh, those of you who have uh, heard me before, you know my... uh, the, one of the books I wrote was on T-shirts and overcoats, and I talk about my words saying you're dumb. My dad, you're dumb. And so I always thought I was dumb. Uh, I got a PhD trying to prove I'm, uh, I'm not dumb, but I still felt dumb because I was being pulled down by that word. Okay? Now, later in life, as I really began to struggle with this and seek the Lord, The Lord himself said to me, you are my son. I'm well pleased with you. Now that pulled me into the arena of God's world, out of the arena of the devil's world. Are we making sense so far? Okay. Now, I'm going to partial out what we're doing. The first, Jesus was captive to his Father's will, and the Father's will is known by means of word. Now, just briefly, in the Hebrew language, there's a connection between seeing and hearing. One of the prophets, well, more than one, it begins with, This is the word of the Lord which Isaiah the prophet saw. Now you can check it out, it's several times in the prophets. This is the word of the Lord which the prophet saw. Well, did he see it or hear it? And the answer is yes. We just have to learn to deal with stuff like that. Uh, so Jesus could do only what he saw slash heard his father saying, doing. Okay. Now I put saying and doing together because they belong together. God said, let there be light. He did something when he said that. As a matter of fact, the chair you're sitting in here is here because he said that. Okay. And you're sitting in that chair because he said that. Your saying accomplishes something. Now, So that's the first part of what I want to look at very briefly. The second part is the Pharisees were captive to word Torah law. The word of the law, by their interpretation, determined their response to Jesus. Okay? Now, that's the second part we want to deal. The third part, we when we read the text, when we read the scripture, I'll we'll say it this way: the Spirit of the Living God, life, Jesus Himself is hovering over the scripture, trying to draw you into His world. Okay. Now I'm going to use uh, the word vortex several times this uh, this morning. Uh, I think of a tornado, but I also think of a whirlpool. A whirlpool pulls you down. A tornado pulls you up. Now, we usually think of a tornado as destructive, but I want to think of it as a positive thing that brings you up into the atmosphere, up where the air is clear, or something like that. Okay. The next thing I want to do is to talk very briefly about how we can resist the pull of the whirlpool vortex and enter into the positive tornado vortex. Okay, so that's our goal. So first of all, Jesus, he was the word of God become flesh he was a word I thought he was a man yes was he a man or was he a word yes okay now I want us to go this isn't working out the way I wanted it to because of the oil Now don't work with that one I want to go to Hebrews. Uh, On your way there, though, just remember Genesis chapter 1. God said, Let there be light, and light was. That's Word with a capital W. And when John talks about Jesus, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. All things were made through Him. In other words, He's the one who created it all. When God said "Word," came out of His mouth. That word became scripture. It became the heaven and the earth. It also became scripture, and it has it became Jesus Christ in the flesh. All of that is word, 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 with the intention of pulling you into the vortex of God's kingdom. Okay. The word of God is creative. Now, I want to turn to Hebrews chapter 1, uh, verse 1. Long ago, many times, many ways, God spoke, there's words, to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken by his son, who is word with a capital W. Whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. Now, we're going to do a little Greek study here because this is important. The word which is translated world there is not the earth. It's not material world. It's the time world. Uh, Could be translated, and is translated age. You know, there is the iron age. There is the stone age. There is the... uh, Different ages throughout history the middle ages and then the present age and the new age That that word age is what is implied here who? created the age In this text who created the ages the ages shift and whenever God is ready to shift things he speaks a word either to a prophet or in some way he speaks the word and there is a shift in the age and what was in vogue is no longer in vogue and a new era, a new age comes. Now we today are standing in the shifting from the old age to a new age. From what used to be to what is. Uh, as early as 19. 19- Uh, I think it was 97 or 98, I can remember standing in front of, uh, that was when I was still on the campus, uh, in front of a group of students, and I made this statement. The church of the 21st century will not be recognizable in terms of the church of the 20th century. Things are going to change so drastically that... If we try to look at it from what was in the 20th century, we will not recognize the church. Now, that's already happening. Uh, And we could talk about the history of that change beginning to take place and what is the evidence of all of that, but I think we all recognize uh, the truth of that statement. So, he created the ages... He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe. Now, here is another need to understand the language here that comes across in English with the wrong idea, and that's throughout Scripture. That sort of thing happens because sometimes there's no way you can say that in English. You cannot say that in English, and actually, when you think about it, they didn't really say it very clearly in Greek either, because there's something we're talking about that language cannot grasp, and so language has to use what we call metaphor. What is a metaphor? That's where the sheep graze. (laughs) Okay, it's a word that says one thing but means another thing. Like the kingdom of heaven is like a seed that's sown in the soil. Now, it's not a little thing that you put under the ground, but somehow that speaks something. And it's something that we can't see and we cannot grasp. We can only talk, use strange language to talk about it. Okay. So, uh, he upholds. Now, this word uphold, uh, when I first read that as a kid, I thought of Atlas holding the world, the earth, the globe on his shoulders. He's bearing, you know, he's carrying, he's big, he's strong, he's mighty. Well, that's not what this word means. It means it carries its forth toward its intended destination, it carries the ages forth toward their destination, which God had in His in His mind when He said, "Let there be light." Are you with me? You're, you're looking at me. <laughs> okay. How, by what means does he carry it forth to the next stage? And he opposed the universe. He uh, carries forth all things, if you please, with the word of his power, his powerful word. And the word there is rhema, which we all know means a presently spoken word. We need to join him in speaking words that carry forth the truth of what he is beginning to do in the earth different from what he used to do. There are still those in pulpits all over the nation who are still saying what used to be and not yet speaking the word of what God wants to do as we face our new future, which is, we're right on the, I started the tale of it we're, it, it, we're right there, and it's right here. It's coming. It's like it's up there like the funnel of a tornado. Just It's not touched ground yet, but it's on its way. And we got to watch a few of those when we lived in New Mexico. Okay. So what I'm looking at here is the power of Word to draw you in. I was amazed this morning of uh, uh, some of the words that came forth, as well as the songs we're talking about being drawn into, and that's specifically what I am talking about here this morning. So the Pharisees were captive to a word from below. They were allowing what used to be to control their response to Jesus. Okay, uh, as, and I want to turn to the Gospel of John in chapter eight. The, this is some of the most scary, uh, the scariest verses I know of in the Scripture. And uh, chapter eight, I'm going to begin uh, with verse forty-one. Why do you not understand what I'm... He's talking to the Pharisees. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. Well, why can't they hear the word? You are of your father, the devil. Now, he's talking about the religious leaders of his day. We are born of God. We're God's kids. Well, which God? Which God? You are your father. That, that's why I said, this is scary. Uh, he was a murderer from the beginning. Now, already, what are they thinking they're going to do to him? They're thinking what their father thinks about him. We've got to kill this guy he was a murderer from the beginning he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him all of that which they present as truth are really lies sound like some of our government officials but we're not going there <laughs> okay when he lies he speaks of his, out of his own character For he is a liar and the father of lies. So when you're lying, who is your father in that moment? I told you, this is scary. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? I tell you the truth. Why do you not believe me? Why don't they believe him? I'll tell you why. Whoever is of God... Hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is you are not of God. Now, that is as strong language as you will find anywhere in Scripture. That's strong. And it convicts most of us. Because we realize there are times when I'm on my way down and I thought I was on my way up. I get vertigo and I think up is down and I think down is up. And I think good is evil and evil is good. And I think a man is a woman and a woman is a man. It gets weird, doesn't it? Okay. So, now... We're back to us now. When we read the text, the Pharisees would read the text and they would try to draw the text into the whirlpool that they were in on its way down. Does that make sense? I spent a lot of time earlier so that you would understand this concept. But we today, when we read the text, Jesus himself is hovering over the text wanting to suck us in to his world. Man, I love that concept. The word hovers to draw you into its vortex and make you a captive to the word. Where the word determines how you hold your head, <laughs> upright or crooked. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think you guys are getting this. You know, I just see all these lights turning on. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So the word of God, the eternal word of God, which created the heavens and the uh, and the earth, the word which sustains and uh, brings forth the universe, the, the ages into, toward its goal, that word became flesh in Jesus Christ, but that word is hovering over the scripture trying to draw you into this vortex, and that word is presently birthing a new age. Things are going to be different in the not-too-far future. Things are going to be so different that we'll look back. I can't believe I believed that. I can't believe I was acting that way. You thought it was right, but it wasn't. Now, I'm telling you, something is coming down the pike, or however you want to talk about that. We can resist the pull of the new age. Now, that's frightening. We can actually resist God. Yes, you can. It will cost you dearly. But God gave man a free will because he did not want robots. He wanted lovers. And if you love this world more than you love him, then you're in the vortex in the whirlpool that's going down. And if you love him more than you love this world, you're in the tornado, the good tornado, that's taking everything up into uh, his world. So you can resist it. We try to force the text into our way of thinking. If you've read as many commentaries as I have on Scripture, you know. Exactly what I'm talking about. The authors of the uh, commentaries are trying to convince us that their word is God's word from the Bible because the Bible says. Yeah, the Bible says that, but what did it really mean when it said that? It depends on whose power you're submitted to. That which draws you into the world of God or that which draws you down into the depth, depression, despair, and all of those things. Okay. So how do we resist interpreting Scripture according to the way I, what I want it to say rather than what it was said? How do I reverse, how do I resist the power of the enemy, to draw you into his world and make you do things you didn't want to do, make you think things you know are wrong. I know all those people out there need to hear this. How do we resist? First of all, how did Jesus resist? Because he became flesh, which means he was in... This world where the power of the negative vortex, the, the, uh, the whirlpool tanking everything down to hell, if you please. He came into that as flesh, which is susceptible. Some, a lot of people don't realize when it says he became flesh, it means he's susceptible. So here's a good question. How did he overcome the pool. And we all know, but it's good to be reminded. Jesus won the conflict with the word from below. They kept trying to pull him in. They kept trying to make him feel guilty for thinking what he was thinking. They tried to shame him for believing what he believed. And he refused to allow himself to be pulled into their whirlpool. What really happened at the cross? You either go our way or we will kill you. Now, I'm going to make a statement. I may have to make it two or three times to get it. Jesus won the conflict with the word from below by dying to his below self, his flesh. That which he became in flesh in this world, in the arena where this whirlpool has its powerful pull. He won that battle by dying to his below self. Paul calls it the old man. (coughs) the old man's crucified with Christ. So he died to his below self, and he rose into his above self. The resurrected life. We died with him, we were buried with him, we were raised with him into this new life. But what this new life means in our era has a different color, a different taste from what it had whenever things were the way they used to be. Because things are changing, we need to change. Anyone who resists change is resisting what God is trying to do. Okay. Now, after he was raised from the dead, he ascended on high and poured out his divine life, his spirit on all flesh, which is in this world under the influence of this whirlpool, so that we also can die to our old self and come alive to who we are in Christ, who is seated at the right hand of God in heaven. And live our life from there rather than over here where all the trouble is. Now, it doesn't mean I'm not going to have any trouble. It means I know how to overcome the trouble. Die to my will. So when I receive this, I, if I will live by it and speak from it, I become... An incarnate word for others. My word draws you into the vortex of God's kingdom. And every one of you have that word in you. And within you is the ability to speak to your neighbor, to your friends. And share your word with them. And then the seed goes out of you and is sown in new soil in their heart and begins to reproduce after its kind. And this is the way the kingdom of God is going to come to the earth. It's not going to come to the earth by uh, voting for this or that man for president. And I don't care who you choose, who you think ought to be there. It doesn't matter. Jesus is Lord. Not the President of the United States. Okay. Other people are drawn into this vortex as we share our testimony with others and the kingdom of God increases in the land. Okay. I'm done. (laughs) I never really learned altar calls. Class is over. Go study your notes and get ready for the test. And as I told one group of students a number of years ago, uh, I said, you're not going to have a final exam here. Your exam is out there. You will be tested on whether you really got it or not. So this coming week, you will be tested on whether you got it or not. And I pray, Father, that you would cause this word to sink deep in each heart here this morning, take root, sprout, and bring forth as a new word for the new day for the neighbors of these people, for the friends and associates of these people, bring fruit from this message in Jesus' name.
1: A couple of things I wanted to say. One earlier, um, I I just was so thankful for how his presence was imparting to the spirit of the children in here. I mean, obviously we're old as adults. We're old enough to sense what his presence is doing for our spirits, but it was happening for those children. And I bless those parents that put their children in his presence so that their, their spirits will continue to grow. But I, I feel like if it's okay, I, I was wanting to maybe do this earlier, but I think maybe now is the time. But there's a, we listen to this man every morning, and he has us say a prayer of consecration. So I think after the message we've heard today, I'd like you all to say this prayer of consecration and repeat it after me. Wake up, uh, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ Christ will will shine shine on you. you. Wake up. Christ. Jesus. Jesus, I belong to you. Jesus, I belong to you. Jesus, I I lift up my heart to you.
0: Jesus, I lift up my heart.
1: Jesus I set my mind on you
0: Jesus I set my mind on you
1: I fix my eyes on you
0: I fix my eyes on you
1: and I offer my body as a holy and living sacrifice acceptable in your sight Jesus
0: we belong to you
1: Jesus we belong to you. amen